Grace and Marianne on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, ladies. <laughs> Get it going. Yes, yes, let's do it. Let's do it. I got all, right. all these buttons in front of me, and I just got to keep it together. I'm sure you're doing great. All right. My name is John Grace, and we have a very special guest slash host on the show today. Two-time world champion, hailing from Norway and queen of the North Fork, Marianne Sather. Marianne, are you there? I'm here. Hi, John. How's it going? All good over here. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. So you were over at the in Idaho just a few days ago, and now you're back, and, and, and what are you doing there? Well, I had to head back to obviously hang out with my family, but we also run a business in northern Norway, so I've been on the river today safety kayaking, and I'll be doing some raft guiding too. Nice. So tell me a little bit about your family. Yeah, so um, I have a little son. He's two and a half years old uh, called Benjamin. He's named after my friend Benjamin York that passed away some years back. Um, and my partner is Ron Fisher from Switzerland. And yeah, we're a happy little kayaking family over in Norway. Nice. So do you have a, a, a rafting business there or a photo biz or what, what's your uh, business? Yeah, it's a, it's a rafting business actually in northern Norway, not far from the Arctic Circle. Uh, we raft this amazing river, which is called the Austurvefsna, which is really hard to pronounce. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a big volume, rapid, uh, big volume river and it's luckily situated in one of the best areas in Norway for kayaking. So we're happy. We're stoked. Cool. Well, as I was explaining a, a second ago, normally I have Lewis Geltman and John Weld on the show as my co-hosts, and it's 4.30 in the morning where they're at right now. It's 7.30 here on the East Coast, and and this was the time we could squeeze this in between family work and the whole nine yards. So, like I said, you're going to be co-host and guest on the show so <laughs> i'll do my best <laughs> um all right before we dig in share something with our audience most people probably don't know about marion <laughs> um i used to be a baton twirler for 12 years when i was in high school <laughs> believe it or not and i used to do synchronized swimming so there's two facts <laughs> so tell me about baton twirling for 12 years you did this? Were you traveling around and competing and that kind of thing? <laughs> no, but actually in Norway we have a big um, tradition for, for marching bands. Okay. And they traditionally come out on the national holiday, you know, like the Constitutional Day on 17th of May. And then we normally also have then baton twirlers that will march in front and throw the batons. And that's what I did. That was a big high school thing. Kind of like, you know, the Norwegian version of cheerleading. So we did that. So, yeah, and then synchronized swimming. Do you think synchronized swimming helped you with paddling? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> For sure not. <laughs> but that that was all before I I um, uh, got into kayaking. You know, so this was just uh, I was very active in the swimming club when I was younger, and then it got a little bit boring to just do lanes. So our coach introduced us to synchronized swimming, and it got very challenging and quite comical. It's quite good fun. <laughs> Is there any footage around anywhere or any, any, is there any place we can see you doing either of these two activities? I got some, uh, some uh, hidden stockpiles of footage, you know, from my baton twirling days, but thank God there's no synchronized swimming footage. <laughs> Very happy about that. I may, you may have to send some of that over. I'll put it in the show notes. People would love to see you doing some baton twirling. <laughs> I, yeah, I still have it. Sometimes I pull it out, you know, at parties and. You can even, like, make fire batons, so I like to end on fire. <laughs> I've been known to do that when I was a bit younger. Good party trick. Well, I have a ton of questions and things like that for you, but for, before we get too deep into your interview, I have a few listener mails that I'm hoping you can help answer, if that's all right. All right. We'll give it a go. Um, all right, let's see. Where do we start here? All right, so this comes at us from Andy out of Duluth, Minnesota. Um, he says, Dear Hammer Factor, love the show. I'm both a lifelong kayaker and surfer. I would never consider going kayaking without a life jacket, while conversely, I would never pedal out to the lineup wearing a life jacket. 
Many years ago, my brother and I had a great surfing session at Pipeline on the Lasha River for several hours on surfboards. Do you know where that's at, Marianne? Yeah, okay. I know. Yeah, I know where that's at. Um, on surfboards without wearing life jackets. Uh, there were a few other surfers at the wave uh, throughout the day also not wearing life jackets. At the time, I did not feel like anything I was doing was radically unsafe or endangering others. In fact, dare I say, it felt good to not be encumbered by a life jacket. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I see little difference in the hazards between river surfing and park-and-play kayaking, so why is there a double standard between the two sports? River surfing seems to be having a, rena a renaissance, and I'm wondering what the crew's thoughts are about the differences between people's perception of safety across different water sports. Easterly yours, Andy. So, is there much river surfing that goes on in Norway? You know, it's getting bigger and bigger. Um, some of the ways that we used to surf back in the days, you know, in our glides and, and riot hammers, like the long boats, mm -hmm. they're definitely now being taken over by river surfers. And it's interesting because there's lots of kayakers doing this too. And here in Norway, people do not wear a life jacket while they do that. Yeah, they, um, they don't hear either. But everybody in Norway, if they're at that same feature in their kayak, they're wearing a PFD, eh? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so I don't know, Andy. That's a really good question. Um, I guess there's the element, I mean, but you can hit your head. Ah, this one really stumps me. What do you think about that? Do you think river surfers should be wearing a PFD, or do you think we should be kayaking on play features without a PFD? Well, I, I have spent a fair bit amount of time on the Ottawa playing at some of the features there you know like the smaller features like push button mm -hmm. and i definitely do see at times people not wearing a pft and maybe my stand on this whole, whole thing is that um it depends on the spot and where you're at obviously if it's like it's a garbrader you know like i would never surf garbrader without the life jacket on because mm -hmm. obvi obviously there's a rapid coming below and there's some eddy lines and stuff. But if it's a small feature and you are a river person and there's nothing coming up behind, I can't see also the harm in not wearing it. Though I think maybe it's it's um, it's a tricky question because at the same time on the river, we should be wearing safety equipment just also to set the standard and, you know, for the kids growing up and all this. So I'm a little bit split as well. I don't have a clear answer. Yeah. I'm kind of with you there. I kind of have two thoughts. To me, wearing a PFD is oftentimes not just about me. It's if I have to do a rescue or help somebody else out. Um, so that kind of like makes me want to keep a PFD on. And also kind of speaking to what you were saying as far as depending on the location, you know, surfers in the ocean aren't wearing a life jacket when they're at their standard break, but you'll notice that all the big wave guys are wearing a PFD. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know. Good question there. Good question, Andy. I'm a, Personally, I'm a fan of wearing the life jacket just simply if I need to help somebody else out, it's going to make it way easier if I got a life yeah, jacket. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point, John. That's a very, very good point. Um. All right, Andy. There you go. Okay, this comes at us from. This comes at us from Connor. No last name. He says, "Hey guys, been arguing with some of my paddling buddies for a while on this subject and wanted to put it to rest. Is the Party Brap a Class Five boat? If not, can other boats in this class, such as the Antic Steez and Ripper, be considered Class Five boats?" Cheers, Connor. Hmm. Well, I think it's uh, very often not really the boat, it's the paddler, you know. So there's many class five kayakers that are super happy to take those kind of boats down class five. And that's because they have the skills to do it. Whereas, you know, it's also fine to just not take those boats down and make life a little bit easier. Um, and I, I think it's fine to paddle them down class five if you as a paddler, if you're up for it. It wouldn't be my first choice if I was a begin like beginning to push into class five, perhaps. Uh -huh. that, then I wouldn't really go for it because it's definitely more challenging. You know, I was looking at some of the footage online of the North Fork. Was Aniel in a steez? Was he racing a steez out there? Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, you know, Jake's is certainly class five. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So, no, I kind of agree with you there. I think there's, uh, I think that there's an added element of possibly risk, but there's also maybe some extra performance and fun if you got the skills for a boat like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've I've definitely taken, you know, boats like that down class five, but when it comes to like a new river or a river, there may be some logs or something where I may not know what I'm getting into. I don't take them. So yeah, you know, like back in the days we used to have those kind of boats for creaking cause that's what there was. Yeah. But obviously there's been an evolution in, in boat design. So, I mean, you, you're not making your life easier by taking those boats down class five. That's for sure. But yeah. it could be a lot more fun. Like you say, if you're up for it. Yeah. No, I agree with you there. I think that pretty much answers Connor's question. Um, let's see. What do we got here? Um, I've got about 20 of these, Marianne, and I know that you have to go pick up Benji here in a little bit, so we're not going to be able to get to all of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, I was listening to the show. Um and had some ideas about additional dry storage that might be something to consider. Most people wear Astral PFDs that come with a zipper clamshell pocket. I've been on the river many times and thought it would be useful to keep items that need to stay dry in that pocket. Do you think making a waterproof clamshell could be feasible? Another thing to consider is that it may add flotation to the jacket as the pocket would be, wouldn't be filling with water on a long swim. Um, love the show. Jacob Christ. Uh, I don't know. I I mean, I just put stuff in a dry bag and put it in my boat if I want it dry. But yeah, because actually that front pocket, you know, it is really where you want to keep those things that you need quickly, which is typically rescue gear. Mm -hmm. And I would rather have my rescue gear handy right there in the front than you know some dry underwear for the campfire. Yeah, so. yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna tell Jacob that you know. That's probably not a feasible thing or something that's going to happen. And then who knows how much it would cost to implement that into a life jacket. Um, okay, here's a good one. Beating a dead horse and helmet talk. Um, enjoyed the helmet discussion. A few shows back we talked about um, helmet technology and kind of how it's changed and how mountain bike technology and ski technology hasn't quite transferred over to kayaking yet. So that's a little background on this question, Marianne. But he says, a few years back, I took a blow to the forehead and bit down so hard that I ended up losing some teeth. Nothing left of them. Roots and all came out. Ouch. Oh, crazy. Didn't get hit in the mouth at all, only the head, so a full face wouldn't have helped. From then on, I've started wearing a mouthpiece for some runs and have realized how much I'm constantly clenching my mouth, especially for bigger drops or more consequential rapids. I've seen a few folks wearing them but sort of thought they were they would there would be more people using one any thoughts that that's a better alternative than a full for full face or protecting against concussions what do you think about mouthpieces Marianne? i think they're brilliant and uh, i i just haven't uh, gotten around to start wearing one myself but i know that like my ex-boyfriend tyler curtis he's a bit he's a big fan of them and it makes a lot of sense, you know, because when you see like the the big weightlifters, I'm pretty sure many of those, they wear the mouth guards mm -hmm. because you can actually clench your, your teeth together and you can pull harder. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely, um, I think it has a lot of advantages. And, yeah. I have one. I haven't pulled it out in a long time, but I've definitely clenched down on, you know, if I'm going to take a hit, if I'm going to run a big waterfall, I'll pull that thing out and put it in. But I kind of have trouble, um, I, I can't, I have trouble like breathing and doing all the other stuff and communicating with it. So it's kind of like a love-hate relationship, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like the nose plug, you know? I see there's a lot of benefits to the nose plug, but at the same time, then I start breathing through the, through the mouth, which I don't <laughs> like doing when I'm kayaking. So yeah, it's maybe also why I'm not wearing the, the mouthpiece at the moment, but if I do get back into running the bigger rapids or the bigger waterfalls, that's definitely on my list to get the gear list to get. What kind of helmet are you wearing right now? I'm wearing my rocker, the sweet rocker and my strutter. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, let's do one more here before we get into your interview because I have a lot of questions. Did you uh, did you come up with a rant or a rave? Yeah, like oh. I uh, okay. Don't 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 yeah. tell us yet. We're not to that part of the show. I just want to okay. see if you got one. <laughs> um, let's see. This comes from Kevin Hill, and this is another PFD question. I kind of like this one because I think there's some merit here. He says, "Why don't we have emergency inflation PFDs akin to avalanche packs?" I recall seeing them used in Whitewater, I believe in the Congo video, but they were custom made. It seems like something that could be designed for use in rescue vests for rapidly increasing one's buoyancy. Obviously, this wouldn't always resolve the issue and could potentially make some situations worse. That said, if I was being recirculated without surfing or had a foot entrapment, I'd take the chance any day and pull the cord to rapidly inflate a large sack to help me surface. What are your thoughts on that one? Well, maybe I mainly think that it's not really needed for the majority of paddlers out there. Uh, I understand like on the Congo mission, you know, like that's something very specifically something that could help them if they got into trouble. Um, and it's a little bit like, you know, this discussion with um, uh, avalanche backpacks too. Mm -hmm. After the avalanche backpacks came out, you see a lot more people actually ending up in avalanches because they feel safer. And maybe they don't always do the best uh, judgment call on what they should ski or not. Ah, interesting. And maybe, uh, this is just maybe a thought I have, that maybe it's along that line as well. If we start getting too many safety gadgets like that, maybe it takes away the focus of, of what we can do and what we shouldn't do. Right, right. Do you have, a, do you, do you have, a, do you have the... Do you have any giant creature crafts or uberlinks or any of that, that that show up in Norway? Yeah, we have occasionally some uh, Russians and East Europeans that come over with the creature crafts, and yeah. <laughs> That's kind of along the same chord, you know. It's like they're trying to outtech the whitewater. Is the way, yeah, is the way I look at it. Now, there's like there's this resurgence of of those things. I can't remember the exact name. I think it's a creature craft that I I keep seeing all over here in the yep. u.s and it's kind of one of those things there was even a motorized one on the golly a couple years ago Whoa. which was just a little over the top i don't know i think there could be some merit to having some you know big safety thing but also it's it'd have to have a lot of thought i mean is it going to you know if you inflate it is it going to push your face down in the water if it's in front of you are you going to be able to grab a throw bag if someone throws a rope at you yeah um i don't know i would just have to kind of see it and play with it but it is kind of an interesting concept i don't know well we got we got a whole bunch more listener mails here thanks everybody for sending those in um we will get on those the next show when we get geltman and weld on here how did how did my boy lewis geltman do out there at the north fork race this is looking all solid yeah i wasn't paying much attention though to the other racers because i was so focused on on trying to keep it together myself <laughs> i have to say so yeah well let's start from the beginning beginning um this let's let's get some uh, let's let's focus on Marianne here for a little bit. Where at Norway are you from, and what were you like before you got into paddling? Um, so I'm from the Shua region. There's a little town there called Utta, so that's just four hours north of Oslo, uh, which is a it's it's a whitewater place. There's a lot of rafting happening on the Shua, and uh, yeah, before kayaking. So I started pretty late. I started when I was 15. I did a lot of sports, various kinds of sports, but um, I also got into snowboarding when I was like 12. And definitely I had some years on the snowboard that I kind of, I, I realized that I'm, I'm, I have a good mindset. Like I like to go fast and I like to take chances basically also on the snowboard. Yeah. <laughs> and then how were you introduced into whitewater? Well, I met a really cute guy, and he uh, <laughs> he asked me out on a date, and the date was a roll practice in the local pool. So then I was hooked. Never looked back after that, and I started dating him. So, so how long did it take for you to be a better kayaker than this guy? It took me probably a year and a half, I would say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I I kayaked very much, a lot right off the bat. Yeah. 
how old were you when you came to the southeast and we had you you nailed it it's when i first met you we had two week rainstorm i mean we were able to oh, paddle was, so many different rivers that was such an amazing trip that was so cool the ravens fork that was my highlight that was the best river I mean, we, um, we paddled the Raven Fork and the West Prong and the Little Possum and the Bear and just, I mean, we hit all the classics on that trip. I don't think I've had we, a, a trip like that since then here in the Southeast. And I even I even remember that we met Pat Keller on that trip. And I don't remember the name of that, that river. Uh, it was a very small river with a big slide. So that sounds like a lot in the, in the Southeast. <laughs> but um, I remember meeting Pat Keller and he must have been, I don't know, not very old at that point. And already then, like, such a nice guy. Mm-hmm. I remember you, uh, I remember the first time I realized how tough you were was on that trip. Because do you remember when you pitoned on Little Possum, messed up your no. ankle? <laughs> <laughs> God, it just, it swelled up like nobody's business. You don't even remember it. But I just remember being like, oh, God, dude, that would put me on the couch. And it didn't slow you down one bit. You were limping around, hiking your way into the Raven Fork. It was epic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can usually take a little bit of, of shit, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's fast forward to the North Fork race this year. Yeah. Kind of set the scene for me. If if you've never, if you don't know what the North Fork Championship is, um, just kind of, you know, kind of describe what you saw coming in and just kind of paint the picture. Yeah, I was getting off the plane, you know, like, and I got driven up the valley by Hannah. My friend Hannah picked me up. And I got to the river, and the first thing I realized when I put my hand in is that it's really warm. And I had only brought a dry suit from Norway. So that was rookie <laughs> mistake number one. So the North Fork is really warm. Remember that. Um, yeah, and then there was lots of people around already. I was coming pretty late into it. I came on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon before the race. And people were training hard, you know, like both on the qualification section, but also already in Jake's. So I watched a few runs through Jake's and thought, oh, my God, uh, <laughs> there were a few of the big names, you know, like not making clean lines. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, like figuring out the qualification course. It's a place where you easily can lose time because it's a fairly easy course. Um, so it's important to get the lines dialed there. And uh, lots of people were out there. It was a really good like atmosphere right away. And you could tell people were quite tense. A lot of people wanted to make it onto Jake's. Right. So the competition was stiff. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Both classes. You know, I'm, I'm a part of this uh, AWP association, uh, you know, that yeah. we pretty much had the world championship there. And we kind of narrowed it down to two locations. And, you know, I was really a fan of the North Fork as being the qualifier because it had both the giant slalom and down river event. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that made for a really legit course, but this year they had the, um, kind of boater, the kind of head to head elimination round. Tell me about that. How did that work? Yeah. So on the first round we were all, uh, I mean, we were all seated and, and selected, um, on the on the semifinal, so it was a head-to-head -head system, but you were not actually on the river together with the person you were racing against. So you were you were racing against the other person's time. So I I like that I like that format when we're heading into like big water like Jake's is because it makes you able to just perform your best. Uh, you're not battling with someone else like taking a pal to your face or something like you're actually like going out there staying fast. Right. So I thought that was good. I The only thing I was thinking about is I think it would have been an improvement maybe for later that this uh, second round of qualification should actually be on Jake's without gates because then it would force more people to get onto Jake's and train maybe earlier. And, and yeah, I think that would be maybe even a, a worthier qualification round than on the class three. So. In these head-to-head -head time trials, how many rounds, well, there was probably, how many girls were competing? Uh, there were 30 signed up. 30? And then, okay. yeah, and then there, I think it was 19 or 20 to start on the first round, and then we got eliminated down to 10, and then down to 5. Okay, so when you did the time trial, it was the group of 10, and then, yeah. and then, so you guys just did 
how many rounds did you do through that through that um, head to head? Just one. Just one. Okay. And so, did, mm. and then how many did the guys do? Just one as well. Okay. 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 So that was okay. All right. I they see. They just how had it a was. bigger cut. Yeah. I see how it was. Okay. Um. All right. So let's fast forward to the big day. So now it's like. Yeah. So was everybody. You know, was everybody doing laps on Jake's the entire time? Were the gates set up where you could actually practice them and know where they were going to be, or did they bring those out later? Yeah, so they uh, on Tuesday when I arrived, there were some people going down the rapid, but there were no gates yet. So they got put up on Wednesday, midday. And when they set the gates, then more people started training because it's, it's just better to train, you know, when you know what kind of moves you actually have to make. Mm-hmm. So there were a, a, a fair amount of men out there training. Uh, not so many of the women. Uh, there was definitely a little feel like in both the men and the women's category, it was a little bit like, well, if I make the cut, I'm going to go and train it then. Yeah, right. So. Right. It's an intimidating rabbit. Describe Jake's. Yeah, it's, uh, it's mainly it's a lot of fun. And I mean, to just go down the rapid, it's, it's just uh is a really, it's an amazingly powerful rapid, you know, and it sits on top of the next rapid as well called the golf course, which is a pretty long section of whitewater with holes in it, a lot of holes. Um, that's why they have the name. Uh, so it's the combination of the two together is quite intimidating. You don't want to screw up Jake's and go for a swim. That would be horrendous. Um, so it's pushy water in there. And then when you also add gates and especially number one and two, they were set in practice very tricky and they actually ended up moving the the number one gate a little bit over for finals to make it a tiny little bit easier so more people made the combination did they so, yeah. did, did they it was a left hand gate correct yeah like you had to well you had to pass the first gate on the right and then the second gate on the left okay okay Gotcha. And so rather than let, let you creep too far over to the left of the first hole, they kind of made you keep it in the meat a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You definitely had to stay out in the middle and then get some good uh, timing, especially you needed a little bit of speed, but not that much. But the crucial part was definitely a left sweep move over the curler Yeah. to paddling forwards. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty classic move out there. What, uh, you know, I've only ran that rapid probably five or six times. It was 25 to maybe 35. What was the flow you guys raced? Uh, we had the uh, 3000 CFS. 3000. Okay. So that's a good level. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been there before, so I don't really know, but it was definitely the locals were saying that when it, when it's higher, it greens out a little bit more. The features, obviously, it's faster and, and pushy, but it greens out a bit more. Mm-hmm. And when it's lower, it doesn't get so pushy. Uh, and now it, it really was, it was powerful. It was lots of power in the water and the waves were really crunchy. So they, it was hard to go through them sometimes. So you're going through the rounds. Where were you sitting after each round? And who was looking good in in the girls' class? How was the competition shaping up? <clears throat> Yeah, so I I did well. Like I I won every round of the competition, both the first Kokotat qualifier, and then the the semifinals where we were like competing against each other's time, and then I won the finals. But other fast girls, like I'm I'm really sorry that Darby didn't make it through to the finals because she'd been training hard and she was looking really good out there. Um, and also um, Paulina. Paya, she's an ex-slalom paddler from Czech. She's really fast on the on the um, on the class three qualifying there. Mm-hmm. Natalie Anderson had put in a lot of work as well. Jenny Crimes, you know, it's always fast and quick. Where's she and from? Then, uh, she's from England. Okay. Yeah. Also an ex-slalom paddler, amazingly graceful on the water. And then of course you have Ajen, who's just a powerhouse. You know, she's so strong and so focused and dedicated. So. There was, there was definitely no easy victories in any of the rounds. Hmm, interesting. And so you swept it all the way through, and you head up to the ramp, and it's time to give it a go. Did you do? You, does all do all the racers have two runs? Is it best one counts? How does it work there in the finals? Yeah, you get two runs. Uh, the best one of the two is your is your final time. So you had two attempts to get it right or to do your best. What were you seeing in the boys' class? 
as you were watching? Who was who was standing out? Was was Dane walking away with it the entire time? Did was there what how how did that competition shape up? Yeah, you know, like I was watching quite a bit of the practice from the boys because I also I I learned from watching and then doing. Um, and I got to say, you know, like no one was like extremely graceful to begin with that I saw. I saw a lot of the guys, the fast guys, they they had to practice. So like Dane had an insane amount of practice laps. I saw Benny Mar out there a lot doing practice laps. Anyol and Gerd, of course. Um, maybe the one that I saw it that for me was definitely a favorite was Joe Morley. He had a lot of really, or what I saw, he had very good lines through Jake's all the time, or one of the more consistent ones. So it's amazing that he got second. Um, and Dane, you know, like he's just a beast. He can run 15 laps and I do one. <laughs> he's, just, <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, he's a beast. And so how were your runs, your two runs in the finals? Yeah, so my I'm usually best on my first attempt. That's what I've learned over the years. Hey, hey, Marianne, your your mic is a little muffled there. Oh, there we go. All right. Now you're back. Okay. So I know that I'm my best usually on my first round. I'm I'm usually more on it, and I have usually more strength. So I was really going to give it everything I had on the first one and then have the second one as my plan B. Uh, and I got really close. I thought, like, I, I entered the first gate a little bit too far right. So even though I had a good sweep booth and I was on the good line and everything, like I didn't quite reach the second gate, but I was very close. It passed by just uh, narrow. I was narrow, narrowingly missing it. Uh, but then I focused downstream and I was coming into the upstream gate on the left behind or over by rock drop. Mm-hmm. And that's always been in practice. Like I always thought that was a little bit tricky because there's some really big waves in the approach there. So I got blinded a lot. So I was uh, pretty blinded coming in and i ended up catching uh, the eddy a little bit low and had to ferry into shore and like really i spent like 15 seconds paddling back upstream uh-huh. but then got the gate and then really just paddle out into the current and dealt with the whole wave that's there and got the next gate and then i turned around and went down um went down taffy puller is that what it's called yep. i still yeah i still don't remember all the names um <laughs> And then I had something really strange happen to me that I haven't had before. But after Taffy Puller, my arms just froze. I got like proper climber's arms. So my forearms were just so uh, stiff. I could barely pull on my paddle. And I guess it's just a combination of like training a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of stress as well up front. And it was really hot. So even though I drank a lot of water, I think maybe I was missing some magnesium and some salts anyways. Right. So then I was, I had to ease off on my strokes down golf course and just focus on like getting the lines. So that's maybe what I'm a little bit bummed about that I wasn't able to pull all the way through. And that was actually counting for both runs. Right. But, yeah. And how the, uh, how'd your competition go through there? Who, who all were you racing against in the finals? Yeah. So it was me and, um, and Natalie Anderson, she was racing. And then there was Paya, Pavlina. The, the Czech girl and Jenny Crimes. Okay. And I think out of those, yeah, and Adrian decided on the day of the final to pull out because she wasn't feeling super comfortable on Jake's, which I have to say is so, I have so much respect for that decision. And um, I, I'm really impressed by Adrian, you know, just not by her kayaking, but that she can do these kind of decisions and not, you know, cave in for the pressure of just racing anyways to go down. Like, she wanted to be her best and she wasn't feeling her best out there. And then she died, decided to not go. Uh, yeah. So we were in the end, only four women in the finals. And I, uh, Natalie said she, as I understood, she hit the best lines she's ever had in Jake's during competition, but uh, at least in one of her runs. But she, unfortunately, she missed the last gate, the finish gate, oh. all the way at the bottom. And yeah, so that, that is a bummer. Uh, but at least she had good lines, you know, like she cleaned up a few of her practice lines and she looked good. And Jenny, I I don't really know. I didn't really talk to Jenny about her, her lines, but I mean, she got third, so she must have been pretty good. And then I know Pavlina, she was very, um, she's a powerful kayaker, you know, she's graceful. She's uh, she's an ex-slalom paddler. So 
even though it seemed like she was maybe um, quite nervous in front of like running the rapids, she must have put in a really good effort to get in second with very few practice laps. Yeah. So she came in second. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I had that. I had that second and third switched up in my head. Okay. Um, Well, let's talk about, let's talk about girls competing in an event like this. Now, Yes. The North Fork <laughs> has an equal purse um, for girls and for guys. And I know that we were messaging a little bit earlier about this, that there is um, – you have no interest in different courses uh, for guys and girls. T- talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I get so excited when organizers like the North Fork, when they come up with this, you know, like same as when Sikwan did it, finally open a, a prop proper women's class and and present equal prize money that's that's what we need uh and i get equally annoyed and there's been quite a few asking me the last week i get equally annoyed when people say well maybe we should have had an easier course for the women uh because not so many women can step up to that and that makes me you know like i think that's just the wrong approach it gets me really wound up because I think, yeah, this was the first time there's been a woman class. And obviously you had people like Katrina first stepping it up, running the, the rapid in competition. And of course, Noria slaying it in some of the past competitions. They, they're definitely, they've been the peak. But I also believe when you open it up, more women will try like this time. I mean, 20 women did sign up and four of us did race. And now the women, we know, we know more what it takes, you know, to go back there and do it better. As of before, we would, you know, sit on shore maybe and be, oh, I'm not sure if I can do that. But now we got the chance to actually give it a go. And it's it's not the same, you know, being in a competition, trying to nail the lines. And you have hundreds of people cheering for you. And even though that's really nice, it's also it's easy to lose your focus. So I, I think this is only great that we have same courses and same cash price. It really, it will eventually make more women compete, and we will get better together. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. When people, when it, and I'm assuming this is other women who come up and say, "Well, maybe we should have had a different course for the girls or whatnot." When they say that, is that just so more people would sign up? What, what, what is their reasoning for that? Well, I mean. It is nice to be more women out there, you know. So, of course, that is – it'd be really nice to just be more and more. But I think it could be like they did on the, on the, at the North Fork here. You know, you have a qualifying round in, um, on easier waters. So, everyone can sign up and most people can do it well. But then you could, you could tell – you could also do it at this time. You could tell the organizers that you're going to race the prelims, but you're not interested in, in racing finals. Right, so you just take your name off the actual result list in that way, but you still get to to compare your time with the rest, and you get to you know be a part of the competition. That I I think is is a good thing. But um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't met a lot of girls that say that we should have competitions on easier water, and there are a lot of competitions, you know, that go on easier water around worldwide. So the opportunity is there. But I think it's really important that in these high-profile events, we have a women's class and we have equal cash. Yeah. I think just the fact that it wasn't just one girl out there competing, that there were four of you guys on Jake's doing it, it's going to inspire many, many other women to step up their game and know that they can do it. Just, just... Yes. And I also have to say, you know, like the way the course was set, because obviously the hardest move was the right to left move to get the two first gates. Mm-hmm. But you could choose to just skip the first gate and go left of it and take the safe line and or the safer line, the easier line. And then you would still get the gate number two. You could get number three, four and five. Right. But then you eliminated, you know, a lot of um, maybe not risk, but you, you made it a lot easier for yourself. And I think I think most of the other women did that. I'm I'm not sure, but I think most most of them just did that. Like, and that is totally fine, you know. Like that can be your strategy, and yeah. What is uh What's the penalty for uh, missing a gate? It's fifty seconds. And is there a touch penalty? I you know what I am not entirely sure. I think it was five seconds. Okay. I didn't really pay attention to that. 
too much. One thing, you know, I, in any of the races that I've ever put on, either kayaking or mountain biking or anything like that, we always do equal prizes um, for the girls and the guys, whatever, whatever it may be. But there's an argument out there that, especially for an event like the North Fork, where you, um, what does it cost to enter the race as a competitor? I think it was less than $200. So, you know, everybody puts in their $100 or $200 or whatever it is. Um, a lot mm. of the guys would say, look, we put in 80% of the money. You know, we should get 80% of the purse out. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is interesting. You know, like I um, like the Sweet Rumble that we have on the Shuwa every year. They have done this. Typically, they would take the entry fees and then split it up between men and women according to how many women there are and according to how many men there are. And I, I can see from an organizer's point of view that's easy, it's fair, it's easy to defend. But at the same time, you know, there are a few women out here. I'm not saying that there's a lot of us, but there are a few women out here that try and push hard and we work hard. Um, look at Noya, you know, like how, how on top of the game she is. And I find it very unfair that people that are in the forefront of the sport wouldn't get rewarded like a man who's in the forefront. So that's my that's my point. I no. think I th yeah. No, I tend to agree with that personally, but that's definitely the argument that I've heard, um, and there is some validity to that. But you know, to me, you know, to me, I would like to see you know this. I would like to see the open divisions you know, always have equal purses. I, I just think that would be a good thing across the board. Um, just to get, I mean, it's just, you know, more women in the sport is cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, um, without getting too in the weeds there, let's, uh, how'd you get ready for this race? What did you do to train up? I would love to say that I've had a really strong training regime, <laughs> But I, I have to admit that actually this year, I just didn't have time to really put in systematic training. And, and I ha I've, ba I've basically just been kayaking. I haven't really been too much strength training or, or um, intervals and stuff. And I, I really think that's the approach to do it, you know. And I did feel that I was a little bit weak sometimes out there. Like Jake's is so powerful. But uh, yeah, I've just been kayaking. I've been a lot in my kayak this year, but I haven't really been training so much when you say a lot in your kayak is that three days a week five days a week seven days a week definitely like five days a week yeah yeah and you got a little bit of mom strength in there <laughs> yeah oh can i say something this yeah. is so cool uh you know out of the top four women that raced on jakes three of us have children under the age of three Oh my God, that is incredible! Isn't that amazing? That gives me goosebumps oh. just 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 hearing about that. What's it like? I mean, you know, Jake's is a scary rapid. People have lost their life on that rapid. You know what? What are the thoughts? Not just as a mom, but as a parent out there, out there doing that kind of thing. What what goes through your head? Are there is there any second guessing that you should be making these decisions? How is that? It's definitely. It wasn't on Jake's because I, I really fell in love with Jake's right away. I like those kind of rapids, you know. Uh, but there's definitely some rapids now after I became a mother that I consider not worth it anymore. Typically the ones that are very dangerous, like having a really, really bad consequence of siphons or logs. or um, So, of course, I'm getting older and, and times have changed a little bit in that regard. But at the same time, like... I am more confident now than I was 10 years ago about what I can run and when what I shouldn't run. So I do feel that when I do run class five now, I, I run the class fives that I know I'm going to do well on. So if that answers your question. It does. But I'm just still blown away that there were three moms of under three in the finals of that race. It's so cool. Yeah, it's it was amazing. And uh, yeah, I I think it's so inspiring or I hope it is inspiring to other female kayakers because I've gotten asked a few times the last years um, oh should I become pregnant because if I become pregnant I'm just going to stop kayaking you know and it's my life is going to be over that kind of thing and I have to say it's not like that at all like you but I think it's important like 
if you feel that kayaking is something you need in your life, you just need to take a little bit of time also when your child is small, you know, take a little bit of time and get on the river. And hopefully you have a partner who's also a kayaker that usually makes life a little bit easier. I'm very lucky with mine. He's understood that I need to paddle. It's something that keeps me happy and makes me a better mother. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as a father too. Let me, let me, uh, I was following your posts on social media and there was a lot of talk about, you know, you, you had a very clear mental game, it seemed to me, just from what you were posting, that you were going to go out there and fight. Tell me, yes. tell me about, you know, how do you, how does someone, if there's a girl out there listening to this or, or someone who wants to compete in a green race or a North Fork race or whatever, how do you, how do you hone that mental game? How does it work for you? Yeah, you know, like, obviously you need, first of all, to have the skills to be racing on such whitewater. Um, but then it's also, I, I really believe that nothing comes for free in this world, not on the river and not on shore. So my mental game was, you know, like, I know that I can run rapids like this confidently and I know that I can compete on those kind of rapids. But it's, it's different when you're standing there and you're looking at the at the gates and my strategy was just that I have to get into that rapid right away and start training it, you know, because I couldn't, if I started pushing it forwards, like not train right away, then I think you're, you're ruining it for yourself a little bit. And obviously, if I had started training it and I realized that it wasn't for me, I could have pulled back. I could have pulled out of the competition and, you know, allowed someone else that maybe would step up that spot. So for me, it was like it's, it was really important to put down the work it takes. And for me particularly, that was getting my face wet in jigs right away, pretty much off the plane, start training it. And, you know, it's not as easy as, it's, as it sounds like because there's a lot of consequences in a rapid like that. And my other strategy was that I'm not cheating the gates. I will not go around the gates. I'm going to do exactly the same thing as the guys. So I started training the gates. And the, especially the first gate to the second gate, if you didn't get that right, it will right bank you straight into the right eddy that's really shallow and it's really powerful over there. So mm-hmm. I ate shit many times before <laughs> I started start getting it. So that's what I mean. I knew that I had to put, I had to put in the work it will take to run something like that properly. And yeah, so I'm, I, I'm really happy. Like, obviously I'm happy that I won, but I'm, I'm the most happy about the fact that this was something I had made up my mind about before that I was going to give it a hundred percent and not try and cheat anything. Uh, and then I went there and I put down the work and it paid off. And I think that's just how it, that's how it is. You don't get anything for free. I love that. You know, I was having a conversation with, do you know who Annabelle Anderson is? Oh, I don't. She, I'm sorry. She is a Kiwi um, stand-up paddle, like paddleboard racer. And yeah. she's probably the most dominant paddleboard racer ever. And I was talking to her one time, and she said something almost exactly like you said. She said, you got to put checks in the bank before you can make a withdrawal. <laughs> exactly. You, you know, and you were out putting your you – were, you were making deposits, you know, with all those practice runs and getting pushed right into the rocks and all of that stuff, so – Wow, super rad. Um, moving down my list here, do you have a mentor, Marion? A mentor? Yeah, uh, someone who, I, who took you under their wing at some point and, and taught you the way kind of thing? You know, when I started kayaking, there were a few women out there that were just kicking ass, um, especially Nikki Kelly and Shannon Carroll. At the point when I was like getting into class five, they were way about my, ab- above my skill level. And they had very different styles of kayaking. Um, Nikki being extremely technical, you know, like flawless in, in certain executions of moves and, and really a technical paddler. And then Shannon, like, I don't think I met the person with bigger balls and, <laughs> you know, more courage than she has. And don't get me wrong, Shannon was also an amazingly good paddler. But I think... The combination of those two, they inspired me in different ways, both those ones. Yeah, and I'm sure you're on that list inspiring people right now. <laughs> I hope so. What Talking about girls in the sport, 
you know, what have you noticed in Whitewater? I know that you kind of came on, you know, you started at 15, you know, whatever. The sport was kind of blowing up then. There was a period there where it kind of leveled off. It seems to me like like we're on an upswing as far as participation. But particularly, what do you see with girls and participation in the sport, both in the past and in the future? What's your vision for the future? Yeah, like, I mean, when I started kayaking, as I said, there were lots of, it felt like there were lots of girls competing in different events, you know, both creaking and racing and freestyle. And as you said, like, from late 90s to the early 2000s, like, it seemed like the scene was just growing and growing. And there were companies pushing out boats, people were sponsored, it was easier back then to get sponsorship. And then it kind of, it leveled out towards the end of the 2000s. And and into our time and i gotta say i also think now that it's picking up a little bit again but um i still think that i mean and that's why i want equal <laughs> equal opportunity basically for the women out there as well because we need more girls to start racing again well i i me personally i really love racing you know so for me it's it's a way to like push myself a little bit um but racing can also be, you know, in class three. It could be a social race with your friends, you know, on Sunday night. Just a little, just a little something to push you a little bit further. Mm-hmm. What do you think, uh, you know, if we've got, I think there's more and more girls paddling all the time. Yeah. And there are certain things with kayaking that just inherent things the weight of the boat you know just there's just certain things that for smaller people and i'm not necessarily saying that girls are not as strong as guys but girls are generally smaller and so like you know that inherently less strength and whatnot so some of these things make it harder but what do you think the big impediment to girls getting in the sport just just talking with your girlfriends who would just say hey i would never do that or you know what is the impediment what what do girls talk about when it comes to why they don't want to paddle? Well, I think maybe that what I've seen in the past, anyways, the past few years, that a few of the girls that were really on the rise to paddling, maybe some took it a little bit too fast. Uh, so they ended up in some scenarios that were not pleasant, you know, like, and, and this doesn't just only happen to girls, also to the men. But I think one of the most important things to remember when it comes to kayaking, again, it's nothing comes for free. So you have to take your time. And baby steps are better than big leaps, you know? So put that, put the groundwork down. And I also think like, you know, women, we tend to maybe be harder on ourselves than many men. Hmm. So if we, if we make a mistake or if we have a bad line or a bad rapid, you know, like it, it might just put us on shore for longer. Because we think right away, oh, I'm a, I'm a bad kayaker, instead of realizing that no, that was just a, a fuck up, that was just a fail. Mm-hmm. I just did a, a wrong, I did, I did a mistake, and that's it, and then move past it. So that's something I think we women have to remember. Like we need to ease up a little bit on ourselves. It's okay to make mistakes, and it's definitely okay to swim. We're like, I mean, we're all in between swims, and swimming only means that you're trying hard. So. <laughs> I, I really like to tell women, I say, don't be scared of flipping over. Like you should you should go and you should push, push yourself to levels of, of course, unsafe rapids and rivers. But I, I don't think the objective is necessarily when you're learning to always stay upright. You should also be able to put your head on the water and roll up in any kind of position, you know. And that's why freestyle has helped me so much in creaking. Because I'm a quick roller, usually. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that quick on my second run in Jake's, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You'll get a pass there. What boat were you paddling? I was paddling the Piranha 9R in this race. Was yeah. it the original 9R, the 9R2, or...? Yeah, it was the original. Um, I've been paddling a lot of Letman boats the past years, and I really like them. But I wasn't able to get one in the States. And I've uh, I've paddled nine R once before, and I also really liked that. And thankfully, Dave Facilli hooked me up through his friend Mike McKee, and Mike McKee's fiance. Um, she was really helpful, and and I got to use her boat for the race. And I'm 
entirely grateful for that. It was a really good boat. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that boat too. I'm just a little big for it, but I like it. I like it too. Yeah, I, the only thing I felt a little bit tippy at times because I guess it's a little bit narrower, uh, more narrow than than I'm used to, and obviously has more edges. But I mean, it drives so well. I can really control it well, you know. So and it's fast. I love that it's fast. So yeah. Before we move on, anything else from the North Fork? Any shout outs you want to give to anybody or anything that maybe I've missed? I got to say, well, there's many thank yous, you know, but like for one, the organizers, they put on an amazing show. They they pulled it together. It's it's impressive, you know, like how big that event was. And I expected it for sure to be a lot less uh, or a lot smaller anyways. So they've done an amazing job growing this event. And that was an amazing showcase of what they've what they put in um also i would really like to thank the safety team i mean they were out there you know watching us race making sure we were we were taken care of and and that's obviously pretty much the most important job out there so thank you guys and girls for being out there and and yeah watching over us we definitely needed it at times in your career what's been is this when one of the the pinnacles what's your what's your most proud what's your highest moment of your time in kayaking do you mean competitively or just in general i mean in general what just sticks out is this is it this is this is this is the pinnacle of of what i've done or the way i felt in a boat I have to say, like, I've had so many amazing moments in my kayak, and I've gotten this question a lot. And I, first of all, I never come up with the same answer. <laughs> and secondly, it, there's all, I, I never seem to be able to take one moment out. Because, you know, when I was younger, like, I remember when I began kayaking, and I was a terrible beginner. And I, it took me three months every weekend to try to get the Eskimo roll <laughs> in the pool, and I never got it. And the boys got ready to go on the river for the first time. And I wasn't really allowed to come because I was the only one that couldn't roll. Oh. But uh, I uh, was a bit stubborn. So I forced myself onto the trip uh, and I swam three times on that trip. It was ice water on the Utta River in March, I believe. There was still ice along the banks. Oh, and uh, after that, I went back to the pool and I, ne I, I never missed a roll after that. And, you know, so something just snapped in place on that trip when I was swimming. And I remember then my first combat roll. Oh, my God, what a glorious feeling when I just realized <laughs> that I might I might survive this. You know, I might get it. So that's one of them. And then I've been on so many amazing river trips. I got to say, we did a trip to Russia, a few of us, some years back. And we got, at one point, we were standing at the Putin of the Mazoi Gorge on mm. the Chuya River. Yep. And it was flowing pretty high. And I didn't know what was downstream. And then making it through the Chuya Gorge, uh, the Mazoi Gorge, standing mm -hmm. at takeout with Team Beer, actually, from Idaho there. <laughs> yep. we, were, we were on the same trip. I mean, the joy of like just being on shore and having paddled good lines and having had super pushy water levels, definitely like proper Russian class five. That is a highlight. That trip is a highlight in my head. And then, yeah, also, you know, that I ended up winning both Sickline. That was, uh, I had a really nice run through Sickline in 215, and I was so happy with the way I paddled. Uh, but also now at Jake's, it's also a highlight because even though I wasn't as clean as I wanted in the run, I, I really felt that I deserved it because I did put in time and I did do my homework, you know. So it was really great to, to stand there and get the first first place. Well, I love it that the current world champion, one of her pinnacles of her career is a combat role because <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. every every kayaker who's ever paddled a boat can relate to that one, let me assure you. For sure. <laughs> it's no, the hardest part. Let's flip the coin. What's the lowest moment? The lowest moment uh, on the river. Yeah, there's definitely been a few of those as well. Um, I've had a couple of bad swims definitely i've been i've been fortunate i haven't been in any like bad kayaking accidents uh, i'm very i'm very happy about that but i've been very close to drowning a couple of times and it you know it it puts it all into perspective and 
mainly what I take out of that is how important it is to have a good safety plan and a good safety setup and think ahead and plan for what could go wrong. So, uh, yeah, it's where, not that I need to take out one of those, but yeah. where, where, where was that? What, when did that happen? The one that sticks well, out? Well, uh, yeah, I had a bad swim on the Pascua in southern Chile in really big water many years ago. I think it was in 2005 um, on the second descent of the Pascua. Um, and then I've had, I'm probably the only person in the whole world that's managed to get stuck under the same siphon twice. On the hospital rock section on the Kawia. Okay. This is also many years ago. Like this was in the maybe 2003, and then again in 2004, perhaps. Which which rapid is that? I've ran that a few times. Yeah, I, now because it's been a long time, I don't remember all the names, you know. But it's before it goes into the nice little granite gorge. If you, yeah. it makes a, a a big left hand turn, it goes into this really nice granite gorge with a a main move in the middle of the canyon, like a boof that you got to make. So just above that corner just above that left bank, uh, left turn, there is a siphon on the left side. And it's even in the chicken line. So you've probably never even been over there. But uh, one time there was a log on the water. And I went there and I didn't see the log. And I just slid on the log straight into the siphon. Oh, uh, yeah, and the second time I spun out, hit the rock, and, and suddenly I was there again. And both times I was stuck backwards with water up to my face. And I was just not moving. I was very stable, but I couldn't do anything. So I just sat there and I waited for my friends to rescue me. It was good. It wasn't the same people two years in a row. But uh, yeah, it was. It, it it taught me the lesson that sometimes sneaking is not the answer. Sometimes it's better to just run the meet, <laughs> and then and then definitely like pay attention to the smaller rapids. You know, you think you're in a safe place, in a safe environment, and bam, that's when it happens. It is. So the... never. It is the little ones that'll bite you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I know that you have got to pick up little Benji here soon. So um, I've got a list of about 15 more questions I could go through with you. But uh, <laughs> but let's get into everyone's favorite part of the show, rants and raves. This is where your hosts go on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that they're stoked about or something that they're kind of peeving about. So... Do you want to lead us off here? Do you have a rant or a rave you can add? I have a rave. Okay. And it's it's very personal, you know, but I'm just so stoked right now because Benjamin, my son, he's two and a half and he just got his first kayak. And it's, <laughs> it is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a soul kayak from Corin Addison. Right. It's a mini me. Yeah. And it's perfect for his size. And he is so excited about it. I am not allowed to touch it. If I try to move that kayak, he will like run after me and tell me nine 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 nine. <laughs> and yeah, we put it on the water, and he's like so. You can tell he's so proud that he gets to do something that daddy is doing or that mama is doing. So that is just for me, just an amazing uh, experience. So thank you so much, all you companies out there that make boats for kids. It's just uh, so far the most amazing thing with being a mother. Oh, so the fun is. The fun level is getting ready to go through the roof. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> what were you going to say? I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure he's going to be paddling way harder than me in, you know, no time. Soon <laughs> I'm going to be the grandma on shore. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be, be careful out there. Oh, mom, come on. Leave me alone. Yeah. He's going to be the one that's running Jake's for sure. I'll be the safety team. <laughs> well, I have a rave. I recently picked up a wild water boat. A, oh. uh, a millennium. I had I had paddled a wild water boat one time. It was actually on the lower yacht. I did an attainment. First time I ever paddled one, John Weld was like, come up here to Pennsylvania and we'll do an attainment. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And he's like, I got a boat for you. It's a good attaining boat. So I had never been in a wild water boat. We attained the entire lower yacht. It about Whoa. killed me. I swam. <laughs> I couldn't roll the boat. I promised I'd never get in one of those. I didn't, you know, I was like, I don't understand what your joy is with that, what's going on. But, you know, I have three kids, and so, and I'm sure as you know, sometimes you just don't have as much time as you want. And a river trip can take a lot of time. 
Yeah, especially when your fellow kayakers are not mothers or fathers. Exactly. And they faff around. <laughs> exactly. We call it the jangle factor around here, and it can be pretty heavy. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, I've got this sweet little class one, two section of river that's three minutes from my house. But taking a stinger out there or any other boat is just, it's just boring, you know? So yeah. I got this boat. I've taken it out a few times. And I can't wait to take it on a little harder white water. I'm going to step it up slow. But just mocking around in this super fast, narrow boat, up and down all these rapids and rivers has just got me so fired up. So I'm just going to rave about not only wild water boats, but just whenever you get bored of one boat, you can switch to a play boat yeah. or a creek boat or a wild water boat or a squirt boat, or you can jump in a raft. And there's just, I'm just so fired up that there's, there's something new that's got me stoked to go paddle some class too. Yeah, you know, like that's that's the thing with kayaking. Like we have so much to, um, like there's so much variation if you want to. It's exactly what's kept me kayaking a lot as well because if I got tired of running creeks, you know, then I would switch to freestyle. And then if I got tired of freestyle too, then I picked up slalom in later years. And it's so good to go in between these disciplines and just have fun because they, you know, they challenge you in different ways. Yeah, I agree on that. Well, Marianne, I thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Um, thank you for having me. Truly a pleasure. Are, are, are there, um, before we wrap up here, are there any, any sponsors or any, any one that you would love to give a, a shout out to or anything you'd like to say? Yeah, I definitely would like to give a big shout out to both Letman, you know, that's the kayak company that I usually paddle for, but also Piranha that graciously allow me to kayak one of their nine hours and obviously sweet protection they've been my long-term sponsor for 20 years wow. and that is so amazing yeah and yeah and recently i also picked up a sponsorship with one call which is a phone company in norway and they uh, they've definitely sponsored partially my travel over to to jake's so yeah thank you very cool where can our listeners follow you is it best to follow you on the instagram or the facebook or where do you uh where, where can people follow you I'm definitely mainly on Instagram under Marianne Seiter, so pretty boring nickname, uh, or on Facebook under Marianne Kayak. Yeah, both places works. <laughs> well, Marianne, I can't wait to uh, until our paths cross again, and I just can't wait to take our kids out on the river at some point. I know. You have to make it to Norway soon or whenever you can. We're here. We're ready for you. All right. Well, thanks for the time, and we will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you.